0: This is going to teach you how to conquer your fears. I'm going to teach you how to awaken the snake. within you? you got points or no points. You're dead meat. Dead meat. <laughs> it's Cobra Kai. No mercy! What then? Shall we go on sinning the grace may increase? No business. What are you looking at? Finish him! Are you sure you're ready? So once you go down this path, there's no turning back. You're going to be my karate teacher? No. I'm going to be your sensei. You're listening to Give Sin a Body Bag, a podcast about offensive sanctification. All right, class, fall in. Today, we level up the training a bit. But uh, before we even began, a couple of caveats. First of all, season two spoilers, obviously. Secondly, and more importantly, I have to acknowledge that the writers of Cobra Kai kind of put this pod in a tough spot by turning our favorite dojo against itself in season two. Now, as a novelist, yes, I'm a novelist. I've written some critically acclaimed novels that you should check out. Uh, I get that. I understand that you've got to raise the stakes and change up the conflict a bit. And as a community leader, I'm glad they show the consequences of embracing a merciless, predatory worldview. And yeah, based on the trailer for Season 3, which comes out in a couple days and looks amazing, it will probably mean a full breakdown of the metaphor we've been building here and the end of this miniseries. But if you'll bear with me and take this episode on Season 2 as something of a standalone unit, in which Crease is no longer the ultimate sensei, but an embodiment of the enemy at work, I think there's still some more we can milk from the spiritual lessons of Cobra Kai as we run kind of a case study of the material we've covered up to this point and find opportunities to go a little deeper. Okay, fighting positions! Snake Snake in the Grass Showing mercy to an old man that's very honorable and stupid. John Kreese, Cobra Kai, Season 2, Premiere. Cobra Kai Season 2 does two things perfectly from the very first frame. It picks up exactly where the last season left off, overlapping by a few seconds, and it jumps right into the action and the main conflict of the season, the return of the old man, Sensei John Kreese. This return catches our hero completely off guard, since the old man was someone he long thought dead, gone, forgotten. I mean, we realize he shouldn't be surprised at this point. This is now the second time Kreese has essentially faked his own death in the Karate Kid mythos. But Johnny is shook by the whole thing. So let me jump right in as well from the very beginning, because there's a lesson for us in this, right from the cold open. Your old man may be dead, but you've got to be ready for him to show up again at any moment. This old man language comes up a number of times in the New Testament, at least in the King James Version. The ESV tends to translate these words, the old self or the new self. But let's look at Romans 6, 6 through 7. Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So yes, our old man is dead, and yet in Ephesians 4, verses 22 and following, we're commanded to put off concerning the former way of life the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And we read pretty much the exact same thing in Colossians 3, verse 9. This is the paradox of living in the already but not yet present tense. While the kingdom of God is at hand and amongst us but not yet consummated, the old man is crucified, but you have to keep putting him off, putting him down, until the very end when he's burned out of existence in glorification. Even the most exemplary Cobra Kai can be taken off guard by this. Even Johnny. His old man comes roaring in out of nowhere when Johnny's at a low point, which is usually how our old man works, too, although he'll occasionally show up to high-five you when you're on top. And what happens next is representative of just about every encounter I've ever had with my old man. It goes like this. Creese comes in, smoking a cigar, looking awesome and grizzled. Then he's throwing punches, trading blows with Johnny, looking to beat him in open combat, but they fight to a stalemate at which point the old man changes tactics, like we talked about, from vicious lion to talkative snake. These are, of course, the two strategies of the enemy. Now he wants to reminisce, to negotiate. He wants to meet for breakfast. He's sorry. He's a little pathetic. He's harmless now. This old man can't hurt nobody. He just wants to be a small part of Cobra Kai. He just, he just wants in, but he won't be satisfied with that. John Creese knows what he's doing. He knows his prey. And Johnny Lawrence is particularly susceptible to this at this moment. He's just failed as a father, and he's recently and permanently ditched Sid, his only living father figure, from his life. Only now to be sucked back into a different toxic relationship. Or, you know, a different manifestation of the same old father. A uh, different but same, if you will. We, as the viewer, don't share Johnny's blind spot, though, and the camera angle lets us see all of Crease's smirks as he manipulates his mark. We see his plan play out almost perfectly from the outset. When he's allowed into the dojo tentatively for a day of classes, the first thing he does upon darkening the door is blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. And as he gets a toehold, then a foothold, it's hard to understand how Johnny doesn't see what's going on. But that's because he's running a con that's designed specifically for Johnny's weaknesses. Admit it, you've been there too. The con is on. Guy's got his issues, but everyone deserves a second chance. Johnny Lawrence, Season 2, Episode 4. Most of us probably haven't had a karate dojo taken from us via hostile takeover, or most of you probably haven't. But we have all been on the receiving end of this kind of confidence game. And it really is a confidence game, and it moves quickly because it involves a slippery slope, or maybe a slithery slope. It's that fast fall that comes from ego-stroking, flesh-pleasing confidence games. Confidence in the flesh games. If we're honest, we can all relate to how quickly things slide out of control for Johnny. At first, Johnny shrugs him off outside the convenience store when Creese tells Daniel... This guy's gonna make Cobra Kai bigger and badder than ever, well, creepily, like, rubbing Johnny's shoulder. I mean, come on, he's not gonna give in to flattery. He's Johnny. But despite his best intentions, and seeming early success, the enemy slowly worm-tongues his way in. That first day he lets Kreese attend a class, he tells his students, This is Mr. Kreese. He's an observer only. Johnny tries to keep him under control. He can dabble, he thinks, and it feels good to have that affirmation he's been longing for. That reminder of a thrill from long ago. He likes the boost to his ego that low-grade sin can bring. And Creese is continually buttering him up, building his confidence in the flesh. "'This man led you to the mountaintop! He's the greatest student I ever had!' Don't fall for this kind of crap. It's the old Adam, the old Eve, laying the groundwork for the con, preparing to turn on you. Don't be Charlie Brown, running at that friggin' football, believing this time will be different. Now, personally, looking back, any time I thought I was outsmarting my old man, I see how completely stupid and naive I actually was being. Take, for example, Johnny's little attempted P.I. routine, following after Crease to see what's really going on. I mean, Creese knows he's being followed, right? Seriously, Johnny believes that the old guy just always happens to be either looking down or in the opposite direction as he sort of fumbles his way back to the shelter where he lives. It's all part of the deception. Johnny thought he was outsmarting his old man, making sure to get the benefits of that association without any blowback. He was being careful. But Johnny was the one actually getting played. Seriously, no matter how rusty he is, you're telling me that this martial arts expert slash war hero can't see that super tricked out Cobra Kai themed challenger tailing him like 30 feet behind? Then comes the sob story. Engage the emotions. I'm a broken man. I can't be fixed. That's how this works. You see, a con consists of convincing someone to convince you of your own scheme. Trust me, I know. One of my novels, The Last Con, HarperCollins, 2015, audiobook coming soon from Gut Check Press, was all about this stuff, and I did a ton of research. A novice might call you up and try to hard-sell you into handing over your social security number. A real grifter acts like he doesn't even want it and makes you beg him to take it, along with your banking information, because you really, really, really want in. So what's the con here? That crease is worth saving. He insists he's not. He may as well just give up and die, right? And Johnny falls for it and sets about trying to redeem the old man. The very next day, he's magically gone from Mr. Kreese, Observer Only, to Sensei Kreese. Now he's co sensei And soon he'll be Soul-Sensei, stealing everything you've worked for. Listen up, Cobras. Be on guard against this. Be vigilant. I mean, yeah, in real life, of course, have compassion on broken people, show them the love of Jesus obviously, but in your sanctification, your mortification, do not pity the old man for having lost his digs in the center of your soul, now relegated to some group shelter. Get him kicked out of that shelter, chuck him out the window, and dump whatever sad garbage he has in his footlocker out on top of him. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Or you might find yourself blinded by the serpent's lies and empty promises. This can be seen clearly in Crease's gluing the second-place trophy together and giving it back to Johnny. By the way, does anyone really believe that was the same trophy? Obviously, he bought another second-place trophy, broke it, and then glued it together. But Johnny doesn't see it, as Kreese gives it to him with an apology and some empty platitude about Johnny being the real winner in his book or something. That is the opposite of Cobra Kai, but Johnny's pride is fluffed up, so he doesn't let himself see that. And when we start accepting these sugar-coated lies that, you know, one little bite of the apple isn't going to hurt, the enemy starts piling lies on lies until we're no longer struggling with an old sin or falling to the enemy. We're taking a friggin' knee, sinning without thinking at all, so that when the spirit comes up as our defense, we basically say, let's just put a pin in that. We'll deal with it if this gets too far out of control. Don't put a pin in it. Put your fist in its face. And don't stop where Knuckle hits Bone. Remember, punch through the old man like the guy you really want to hit is standing behind him. Oh, and one more thing to look out for here. Not only does the old man know how to play on Johnny's past hurts... Like in episode four, you knew me when I was on top, kid. Wah, 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 He also knows how to reactivate all the right memories, push all the right buttons to remind Johnny about when he was on top. Back when he was dating Allie with an eye, winning championships, hanging out at country clubs, king of West Valley High. Don't you want that again? It's about selective memory. Remember, he says, I was always on your side. No, you weren't, you liar. You tried to choke him to death. Remember the championships we won. Remember the good stuff. Forget all the misery and shame and horrible consequences of throwing back in with me and just do it. I once heard some treacly Christmonger on the radio preaching that just as important as asking God to forgive you is forgiving yourself. Why do they always do that? They always get that weird like raspy whisper going. That's so affected and fake. But you got to forgive yourself. And once you've done that, then you got to forget what you did to begin with. Forgive and forget. Wrong! Remember the low points as well as the highs of giving in to sin, or you're in trouble. Select all the memories, so you can save yourself some misery by not falling victim to the old man's con. Iron sharpens iron. Look, I know you guys are old friends, but some of his stories don't add up. Miguel Diaz, Cobra Kai, Season 2, Episode 4. Johnny should have seen what was going on, but all other things are never equal. And I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but had Johnny not been dulling his senses with all that coarse beer, I think he'd have seen this guy coming from a mile away. All the clues were there. Heck, they weren't even clues. The whole plan was laid out right in the open. Kreese had been back in his life five minutes when he warned Johnny, showing mercy to an old man is stupid. And yet, getting Johnny to show mercy to the old man was his whole plan. This guy's a skilled grifter. Then, after getting bumped back up to Sensei, while demonstrating a kick to the class, John Kreese says this, the key to this move is making your enemy think you're retreating. But just when they let their guard down, that's when you strike the hardest. So, he straight up tells him his plan going forward as well. I'll pretend to retreat, and as soon as you let your guard down, I'm going to strike. And in Season 2, Episode 7, when Kreese is kicked out, remember that? I don't ever want to see you in this dojo again? He leaves without a fuss. But notice, he leaves that awesome picture of himself, which is precious to him, taken by none other than Terry Silver, hanging in the office. That should have been a red flag. He knows he's coming back. He owns the place. He's already wormed his way in. And notice... Miguel does see what's going on. He sees that Kreese is full of crap about his past. You mean Somalia, right? He challenges. Mogadishu is in Somalia. Rwanda's a whole different country. Kreese wants to invent a fabricated past for the class as well as for Johnny, but Miguel sees right through it. And he goes to Johnny, and he warns him. Something's off about this guy. His stories don't add up. And Johnny dismisses him. He doesn't listen to Miguel because, hey, he's got it all under control, and he knows how to avoid falling into the same trap as before, and, of course, he doesn't listen because he's supposed to be teaching and mentoring Miguel, not the other way around. This is another way pride can sink you. Hey, I'm the pastor. That concerned parishioner doesn't know what he's talking about. Or, I'm the father. My kids should learn respect rather than trying to point out my flaws. Or, if you're, like, terminally complimentarian, this can look like refusing to listen to your own wife, who God gave you as a partner in your sanctification and serving him together. By the way, that's a LaRusso move. I know better than you, sweetheart, pat, pat, pat on the head. I'm doing important things while she's actually running your car dealership and your household single-handedly. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Did you get in a fight? John Kreese. Cobra Kai, Season 2, Episode 5. There's an acronym used in 12-step addiction recovery programs that I think is just as helpful in everyday sanctification. After all, we are all on some level addicted to sin. The acronym is HALT. It stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. The enemy comes after you when you're weakened and conflicted. You're longing after something you don't have. You're exhausted. You're defeated. You're bored. You're all alone. This is why Kreese chose to show up when he did. He pretends it's because Cobra Kai is back on top where it belongs, but he really knows that Johnny is all alone in the dark, hitting bottom. In episode 5, we see Kreese pulling the same thing on Hawk. Hawk, who's angry that he just lost a fight, lonely because his hippie girlfriend just left him, hungry for the spotlight that Miguel's been hogging, and tired of always landing second place, because it's no place. In a rage, he stalks into the dojo, which is weirdly always unlocked and wide open to the public, and starts beating the crap out of a heavy bag. And in walks Kreese, right on cue, ready to sow some seeds of mutiny and discontent. We've already covered how the enemy doesn't play fair. Or, in the words of model Cobra Kai, Tori, the world shows no mercy, why should we? In fact, Miyagi specifically taught Daniel and his family's ancestral dojo in Okinawa to go for the, quote, primary target, which is, you know, the the family jewels. Right. Honor, blah, 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 defense only, and hit your enemy below the belt. That's the primary target. You gotta be ready for it. And crafty as a serpent. Notice that it's when Johnny is at his childhood friend's funeral that Creese gets the lease switched to his own name. That right there tells us everything we need to know vis-a-vis the HALT acronym, the enemy's strategy, and our need to keep our heads on a swivel. But Johnny was lonely, tired, probably a little angry, and grieving, so he turned to Creese in the wake of Medal of Honor gate and said, I've got to go deal with something. You up to it? Figure out who did it. But here's the thing. Creese already knows who did it. It was him. And that is when he really started sinking his talons in, when Johnny's attention moved away to something else entirely. So I'm going to do something kind of controversial here, and I'm just going to call it right now. Amanda LaRusso is pretty much awesome, and her lame family doesn't deserve her, so I'm going to quote her favorably here. Sometimes when you focus on one thing, you lose focus on everything else that matters. When we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, we're at risk of doing what Johnny did and leaving our sin nature in charge. But, you know, just for a while. Can you handle it for the moment? Guys, that's long enough to change the lease and cause you no end of suffering and headaches. Fire and Ice Coming up next, have I got a treat for you. Please direct your attention to the LaRusso Auto Booth for a presentation from Miyagi-Do Karate. Chirpy Lady, Season 2, Episode 3. One of the greatest moments of Season 2 was when Daniel and his little Mickey Mouse Club were like seven-eighths of the way through their white belt dance recital, which was basically a shot-for-shot recreation of Napoleon Dynamite and his Happy Hands Club. When the Cobra Kai made their sudden trademark entrance, unfurled a giant banner with their awesome logo, and started breaking things in full-contact sparring. Hawk was spin-kicking, Aisha punched through, like, four boards, blindfolded like the absolute boss that she is. It was awesome. We find out later, at the beach club, that even LaRusso's own friends don't remember that he'd done a karate demonstration at all. They only remember Cobra Kai, because it displaced the kata of lameness that was brought to you by LaRusso Auto Group. Man, these guys are corny. Now, this very thing needs to take place in our own hearts and minds on a regular basis. I mentioned in a previous class that we've mostly been talking about only half of sanctification, the putting to death of our flesh, what we call mortification. But there's also the bringing to life more and more that which is rooted in the spirit, vivification. And I think this is a pretty decent example of both. You see, if Cobra Kai had just rigged up like a a trap door beneath the little Von Trapp family karate dojo demonstration, or maybe rigged up a hose to soak them, a tactic that only a real pansy would employ, they might have thrown a temporary wrench in the works, but everyone would still be talking about and thinking about Miyagi-do karate and that thing that happened there. Instead, they outshined them overshadowed them, expelled them from the public consciousness of Valleyfest when their sensei commanded, cobras, show them what real karate looks like. That's also what true sanctification requires. Something better to displace the garbage the old man has to offer, to push it out of your mind and heart. As Thomas Chalmers said in one of my favorite sermons of all time, which I've probably read 200 times, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, You've all heard that nature abhors a vacuum. Such, at least, is the nature of the heart. That though the room which is in it may change one inmate for another, it cannot be left void without the pain of most intolerable suffering. It is not enough, then, to argue the folly of an existing affection. No, you've got to replace it with something else. There's some not-too-subtle symbolism here. When Johnny and company interrupt their rival's demo, just as Daniel is wheeling out that ice contraption from Karate Kid 2, while flamboyantly announcing, And now for the grand finale! Aside, you guys do realize that it's Theo from Die Hard that fails to break the ice before Daniel, and then challenges, You think you can do better, Big Mouth? Gosh, Karate Kid 2 is a perfect 80s movie. How are the people who don't like it? Anyway, back to the thing. Daniel never gets to do his little ice demonstration because Johnny walks up on a bigger, better stage and smashes his fist through five burning bricks at once. Guys, it's just science. Fire melts ice. And the final shot of that scene is those sheets of ice, unbroken, slowly melting and dripping onto the stage, becoming lukewarm water. This hot, cold motif, of course, brings to mind the words of Jesus in Revelation 3. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Or in the King James, I'm about to spew thee out of my mouth. By the way, spew spelled S-P-U-E. That Greek word there, emeto, primarily means to vomit or to throw up. And this kind of lukewarm nonsense should make us want to puke as well. Don't meet the LaRusso ice with some half-hearted response. Melt it with fire. I remember one night sitting in the home of one of my New Testament profs in seminary with some other students. Well, he wowed us all with his knowledge and insight. And I remember him going on this little side tirade about how the word passion had come to be a really positive thing in the evangelical church, one of its main virtues, if not its primary sacrament. And how strange that was because passion used to be a negative thing in Christianity. In the scriptures themselves, the passions of the flesh were always something to be put to death, not celebrated. Then he quipped, it probably won't be long until we're celebrating lusting after the spirit. And I kept my mouth shut and chuckled and nodded, but I wanted to say, I'm pretty sure St. Paul already did that. At least, again, in the King James Version and the ASV from 1901, my favorite translation of all time, Galatians 5.17 uses the language of lust when it says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. That strong desire we call lust, the pull toward money or illicit sexual gratification or fame or revenge or whatever, that doesn't just go away in a Christian, leaving you zen like some lifeless statue of Buddha. No, other, better, and yes, stronger desires— passions come up in their place. These things are at war within us, the spirit and the flesh lusting against each other. This calls to mind the yin-yang symbol of 95% of all dojo logos, but that thing is about balance. To hell with balance. Let the fire melt the ice and boil it away by the expulsive power of a new affection. Anything less and you're going to fall into La Russo territory. Remember in Season 2, Episode 7, Daniel, King of Balance, LaRusso, blows up his business and his marriage by missing a vital lunch with an understandably fed-up employee. Balance gets you stuck. And that's something that segues nicely to... Forward, forward, forward. You gotta keep moving forward, or else you can get stuck exactly where you are. It's like the cement in this truck. If that drum doesn't start turning, the cement inside will harden and get stuck. Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, Season 2, Episode 2. Has there ever been a more natural, inspiring teacher than Johnny Lawrence? Well, yeah, definitely, lots of them. But he's getting good at creating lessons that sink in. And when he sends a handful of his students into the cement mixer to use their own combined strength against the slippery slope of the inside of that drum, he taught them something they will never forget. We all need this lesson. Our evangelical culture seems to view conversion as the end of our story, right? That's how 95% of, quote, Christian testimonies end. Then I got saved, I was forgiven my sin, got right with God, the end. Maybe a paragraph or two of epilogue, but basically that's it. And that view is a recipe for getting stuck. We should be content with our progress to this point, at this point, because God is at work in us, but never complacent. You stop moving forward, you will get stuck in the muck. Never a good situation. Not now and not thousands of years ago. You remember in Genesis 14, when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and a few of their friends tried to step up to their overlords in the Valley of Sedim? Only they quickly realized they'd majorly miscalculated and they were outgunned and they tried to flee, but the valley was full of slime pits and they got stuck and were just brutally defeated there. Talk about a valley fest. Guys, according to Psalm 40, Jesus saved you by pulling you out of the slimy pit and washing you clean. Don't go back in and get stuck. Listen to the words of the prince of preachers, that cigar chomping bear of a man, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Have we made any progress concerning work for our master? Some, as they grow old, give up their work. I do not understand it. I must confess an inability of comprehending how any man who once preached the gospel can ever leave his ministry while his strength lasts. If the master has once allotted you a field of labor, unless it is sheer inability, I cannot understand how you can ever cease to till the ground or reap the sheaves. No, you will, if God has called you, want to do more and more and more for Jesus. You will feel a growing thirst after precious souls. At least you ought to do so you will be moved with greater yearning of your heart towards your fellow immortals and a higher zeal for the spread of your master's kingdom. Christian men, when I think of some of you who have tasted that he is gracious and are content with the taste, who have been into the river of Jesus love until you're up to the ankles, but are loath to wade into the deeper parts of the heavenly stream. When I think of some of you who are worshiping in the outer courts and have no ambition to enter into what is within the veil, when I Remember how some of you seem never to comprehend the resurrection life, nor what it is to be raised up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I do marvel at you, that you thus stand back, and in the name of God, whose servant I am, I give you this motto, forward forward, press onward in the divine life, forget the road already trod and onward urge your way, cry for the Spirit of God, ask for more unction, more power, more consciousness of the divine indwelling, and then take for the motto on your banner, forward, forward, forward. Sermon delivered on Sunday evening, October 18, 1863, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Flip those tables. I don't know, last time I went four rounds with a LaRusso, I caught a foot to my face. Johnny Lawrence, season two, episode nine. When our forward motion flags, we're almost always gonna find ourselves tempted to start compromising while we sit in the same complacent place. Sin won't leave us alone entirely, but the enemy will back way off when we stop making progress in our sanctification. Because it's in his best interest for us to get comfortable there, to stay there for years if he can make it happen. He might even suggest you put your differences aside and pull your tables together. That's what happens, of course, in the penultimate episode of season two. Don't Pull your tables together. Don't shake hands with LaRusso and say, this has been fun. Remember, when he extends his hand, he's not protecting that baby face. Do not forget what he did to you because for all his talk about balance and defense only, he wants to, and plans to, do it again. And yes, of course, with a human enemy, sure, make peace, forgive, put it behind you. But with our true enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, principalities and powers in high places, hold that grudge until you watch them burn in hell. Jesus did not walk into the temple courts and start pulling tables together. He flipped them over. Then he made a whip and drove out every last money changer from his father's house. Go and do likewise. Keep moving forward and keep purging the place of anything that will drag you back. You get what you pay for. My mom was right about car salesmen. You gotta read the fine print. Potential Miyagi-Do student, season 2, episode 3. The phrase, you get what you pay for, like most adages, is true 90% of the time. And it is certainly true when it comes to dojos in the valley, Because he's rich, LaRusso can afford to offer free karate lessons. Although, who wants to learn from a guy with a stolen black belt, am I right? And he thinks that this will undercut the lead that Cobra Kai has over him. But he's wrong. People see right through this charade as soon as he hands him a paintbrush or a rake. It's a bait-and-switch. Free lessons are actually just you offering free yard work. Show me sand the floor. (laughs) No. I've learned this. People don't value something that cost them nothing. I learned this when I was a youth pastor in the mid to late 90s. If the church covered the entire cost of, say, a weekend retreat, I'd get a dozen kids signing up, but at the last minute, two or three would drop out. However, if their parents had put up even 20 or 30 bucks toward the cost, they had actual buy-in and they'd make sure those kids got there. Or better yet, if I got the group all together for a car wash and the youth earned the money for the trip, they themselves would make sure to get there. Of course, our salvation is bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. He paid the price, but he also told us to count the cost of discipleship, that by following him, we will be giving up much of what the world values. People whose faith never costs them anything will probably buckle the moment persecution of any kind, no matter how mild, comes their way. Even a bit of temptation might rock their commitment. In his enormous classic, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Jesus told us, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. The disciple must say to himself the same words Peter said of Christ when he denied him. I know not this man. Self-denial is never just a series of isolated acts of mortification or asceticism. It is not suicide, for there's an element of self-will even in that. To deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self, to see only him who goes before and no more of the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads the way, keep close to him. Points or no points? Sir, we thought you were serious. Amanda LaRusso, Season 2, Episode 2. As we draw an end to the formal training here, let me sum up. Yes, this has been a rather tongue in cheek look at these topics through the lens of a very cool, if corny, TV show. But at the same time, I'm dead serious about all of these concepts. These fleeting illustrations notwithstanding, we cannot be flippant about sanctification. I've already told you that Mrs. LaRusso won me over as a character the last time I watched the series. And obviously, Daniel doesn't deserve her. She's way too cool, way too pretty, way too smart, and way too young to be married to him. Seriously, she could be his daughter. The actress who plays her is six months younger than I am, and I was six when The Karate Kid came out. Anyway, even Mrs. LaRusso can drop the ball once in a while. Surrounded as she is with LaRussos. And one such example is when she flippantly quips to a waitress in Season 2, Episode 9, Oh, they have warring karate dojos. Yeah, it was a great line. It made me laugh. But is it still funny when you-know-what happens to you-know-who in the next episode? Not laughing anymore, Mandy? Hey, it's one thing to mock the devil's one-trick pony status. It's another to act like the whole thing is a joke. But the latter is very popular at the moment. We joke about being holy more than we try to be holy. If I had a dime for every punchline I heard within the church visible at the expense of, quote, purity culture or some other aspect of putting to death the appetites of our flesh, I'd use the money to buy and retrofit my own awesome Cobra Kai-themed challenger. This is no joke. All the silly Karate Kid references aside, if you've been stuck in your walk with Christ, if you've been compromising, believing the enemy's lies, buying into his cons, light up that fire, melt that ice, and fight back. We talked about the difference between justification, when we're declared righteous in Jesus Christ, which is an act of God, something he alone does, and it's either done or it's not. It can't be in process. Boom, you're righteous, versus sanctification, which is a, a present tense work of God. It's happening slowly and we are involved in it. And sometimes we screw up and sometimes we fall and sometimes we backslide. And think about that term, that's a great term because you know if you're on your way somewhere and you slip and fall, that's one thing. Even if you hurt your knee or twist your ankle, you can still get up and keep limping forward. You haven't lost anything. But if you fall and slide back, back down that slippery, slithery slope, that can be really, really discouraging. God's word promises us in Philippians 1.6 that he who began that good work in you will see it through to completion. You have his guarantee on that. So tie on that black headband, fall in, fighting positions, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Unless otherwise indicated, scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, Holy Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, the publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. The Karate Kid, The Karate Kid Part 2, and The Karate Kid Part 3 are all copyright Columbia Pictures Corporation. Cobra Kai, The Karate Kid Saga Continues, is copyright 2018, Overbrook Entertainment, and Sony Pictures. Columbia Pictures, Overbrook Entertainment and Sony Pictures have not endorsed this production in any way. References to characters and short quotations from these materials are used for critical and or satirical purposes. Gotcha.